Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, and we are coming at you live from the Resistor Lab here in the Gorilla Camp, located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina. And today I am joined by author for Zero Hedge, author for The Organic Prepper, Madman Extraordinaire, a guy who has been uh, fighting the good fight, somebody who I call a true freedom fighter for liberty out there, uh, and just an all-around cool dude to hang out with, Mr. Aiden Tate. What's up, brother? Hey, man. Hey, so like Zero Hedge, they'll pick up my pieces. I'm not actually like a staff writer for them or nothing, though. They just occasionally pick up stuff I've written. Oh, well, cool. Yep. Well, hey. You're still getting shared. Yeah, it's all yeah. good, man. It's always cool because I, I like Zero Hedge a whole lot, so it's always fun to see that when they pick something Me up. Me too. Me too. I well, I love I love Zero Hedge. Been a, a, a big follower of their work for a long time now uh, because you you know we're doing the work of the the true work of the Fourth Estate. You know, what what the media should be, what the media is supposed to be, uh, holding the, the feet to the fire of, of corrupt politicians and, you know, the people who are trying to spin the narrative one way. Man, we're out there telling the truth. Oh, that's the cool thing about American Partisan, too, I think, is that you can go to it and get actual information, you know. <laughs> oh, OK, this is actually what's been going on. Like, it ain't. Nothing with, okay, this is just made up crap and I got to be real careful with their agenda that I know they're pushing here with this. That's, I don't know. That's, I think alternative news is the way to go. No, it is, man. It is. It is. And, you know, you've been somebody who's been on the forefront of this um, and, and a name that has come up in a lot of circles in a good way every single time. And that's kind of rare too. Um, (laughs) <laughs> As you no doubt know, man, there's 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 some there's a handful of really good people, and there's a lot of really shady people out there too. Um, well, but, I'm glad they're saying good things, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, man. Oh I yeah, my ears were burning. <laughs> like I do believe they're talking about me. Yeah. <laughs> um. But right off the top, man, you, you've been a guy who's, who has been uh, – you've definitely paid your dues and, and been in the trenches for a long time fighting the good fight. You've authored a couple of books. Um, definitely somebody who, who takes the duty of a Christian patriot very, very seriously. And, man, right off the top, brother, what got you into prepping and then – what got you into writing? 
Well, I'll start with the prepping side of things. As I've always had an interest in farming, right? Like I think it's kind of in my blood because my my grandpa and all them on that side are farmers or were and, and such. But uh, so all growing up, it was hanging out in the garden and growing stuff and, and all that. And it just kind of carried with me, which the whole homesteading aspect of prepping is a, a real big side of things, you know? And then, yeah. uh, I, so I guess that's a big part of it. That's, I ended up getting my own little, I call it a micro farm really, where like I raise uh, goats and chickens and I had honeybees. My honeybees died. A uh, pig, had a pig, a red wattle pig. Um, yeah. All that stuff. So that that was that. Then I went on. I got my uh, master's in public health. And public health is nothing but looking at like, okay, this is uh, infectious disease stuff we got to worry about here. This is uh, food safety stuff. We looked at like, uh, I don't know, all kinds of different stuff. I was mainly focused on chronic disease at the time. But there's a whole lot of stuff with the epidemiology and stuff that transfers over that helped me with uh, analyzing data and stuff and looking at what's going on in the world around today and stuff. So I guess that's the the background there with that. As far as like getting into more of uh, writing about prepping and and things of that nature and uh, all that, it was, I had submitted a piece a long time ago to Prepper Press and they said, nah, we don't want this, but what we do want is we want to look at a Christian's perspective on prep. And if you tackle that, we can do that. I said, all right, I can do that. I've been a Christian since I was 14. Uh, that's, that's yeah, I, absolutely, I can do that. I've been involved with as far as the self-sufficiency side of things for quite some time and ended up about a year later getting uh, the Faithful Prepper, a Christian's perspective on prepping published. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, man, I, I, I think you really, you've hit a lot of stuff, man. He, you know, I, I think really hitting it out of the park as far as Christian foundations and, and how that ties into being a prepper. And, you know, you see this same reciprocating, uh, or repeating theme rather over time. It just, you know, kind of continues. You have to be prepared for the hard times, you know, it's, it's, it's fine to live well during the good times, but you have to be prepared for the hard times. And, uh, because you, you know, we will be tried now talking about homesteading and micro farming and, and, you know, you kind of, you kind of downplayed it a little bit, but I think, (laughs) you know, man, like dude, you know, going to any of the grocery stores. So like we just had a a ice storm here in North Carolina you know, pretty, pretty big snowstorm followed by ice storm. We're fixing to get another one. It's about to blow through here. Right. And going to the grocery store, you know, just to, uh, I was just going to pick up a couple of odds and ends, not like the usual, let's get, you know, a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. Right. But like, I was just going to get some, some extra odds and ends and really just to see what they're cleaned out of. And it's, it's like they have nothing. It's, it's like grocery stores from the Soviet Union, you know, yep. and it really drives home the point. So like like my family, we've all been farmers. I grew up farming. And I kind of understand all of that. Right. 
And this this idea of micro farming though is is kind of I don't want to say a new one on me, but it kind of is because I, I don't really I think of things in like larger agribusiness type terms, you know, because that's what I grew up with. What are some of the lessons that you've picked up over the uh, years? Man? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I've learned. I think chickens are one of the first things you should get as far as if you're setting up your own micro farm. And I, I call it a micro farm. The reason being like. I ain't got money to drop down on 80 acres, you know, to <laughs> it right. ain't happening, especially right now. So if you've got a little bit of acreage, you can still raise your own food and all that. But I think chickens are a big thing. I think as far as honeybees, I think, yeah, but you got to be careful because like if you're losing 50% of your honeybees each year, that's a big expense. And if you've got three yeah. hives or four hives and you've lost two hives, well, that was at least $200. Of, of bees that you lost. And it only costs about a hundred bucks per five pounds or something like that. I think, uh, the other thing I've learned is always be putting stuff in the garden. Like, okay, I got the lettuce that's getting ready. It's, and once it's done, I'm going to have the carrots that have been growing up that I've been sowing, uh, no wasted space, no wasted time. And really the biggest I'd say influence on my thinking with farming has been Joel Salton. So if you get to read his books, the, uh, the sheer ecstasy of being a lunatic farmer, that's a, I think that's required reading. That's an awesome book. Really, all of his books are awesome, but it really helps me with figuring out, okay, this is how I do this. And it's not a full-time job for me. It's just me growing food for myself, really. But uh, I don't know. He's helped me out a whole lot with his books. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. And it, it's it's that path towards self-sufficiency. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it, it's satisfaction there. Um so you mentioned raising a pig. Yeah. That is deceptively hard, man. Oh yeah. Man, the, the, uh, like it was a, they're a gentle animal, but if it decides it wants to do something, you ain't stopping it. You ain't stopping no, no. pig. No, no. And, and it's my experience at least that they will destroy any fencing that you try and keep them in. Dude, and they're mischievous with it too. I had this uh, electric netting stuff that you can move and transport. And I learned about that from Joel Selton. But the pig yeah. would bury it. It would root right beside it, bury the electric netting with mud or dirt or whatever. And then it would run out. And it would like, when the pig was out, it knew it was out. And it would actually like dance and like frolic <laughs> stuff. And I'm looking <laughs> out drinking my coffee and I see this pig literally like dancing around in the backyard area. I'm like, what on earth? What am I going to do? But <sighs> Get know. back in there. I'm going to eat you. Yeah, man, you just got to bribe <laughs> them. That's all it is. Bribe them with corn. That's the key. Yeah. But I do think with farming, I think it's one of them things that all of human history, man has stored food. And only within the past 100 to 50 years, has mankind decided, no, nah, I don't need to store food no more. I'll just, I'm really just going to trust in the system as far as the electric grid and whatnot. And, and aside from that, just not going to have any skills whatsoever as far as taking care of myself. I can't keep myself warm. I can't keep myself fed. I can't keep myself safe. I can't do any of this. I can't take care of basic medical things. It's only been within recent time that we've been doing that. Oh yeah. It, well, it, it's, we're over civilized. I mm -hmm. think that's kind of my 
I don't know, my, my estimation of it is, is we're a little over civilized. We're a little overfed, a little, you know, kind of, I think unprepared for a hard time. And I had, uh, back when I did the, the first line course, which is a, a basic survival class that I run, I had a guy who was a former Russian soldier who immigrated to the U S and, uh, now he's an American citizen and he was telling me some interesting stuff about Russia. You mm-hmm. know, he, he's like the, you know, in, in the States, what, what we call the prepper movement now never went away in Russia. That's something that, uh, you know, you see every old lady putting up food for the winter. You see every old lady, um, growing their own crops. Like that's a, that is a thing. Like even down to micro farming, he's like, it's not unusual to see even in the urban areas in Russia, people will have tiny little farms on top of housing complexes and they, they adapt like that because they live through such incredibly hard times with the Soviet union, just, you know, running roughshod over the population and, and, you know, totalitarianism really taking form. We're kind of seeing that again, man. Yeah. And, uh, if if you don't know how to take care of yourself, what are you going to do when, like, you got the trucker strike from Canada, right? What are you going to do when all the food that comes across that border ain't coming to your area? What are you going to do when you got the cargo ship problem on the Pacific coast and you ain't getting whatever shipped in? And uh, there's all, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like that that we could look into and just crazy stuff. It is, you saying the thing about Russia. Once upon a time, I had a Ukrainian foreign exchange student that was living at my place. And uh, he said they used to make fun of Russia so much that like you would immediately cross the border from Ukraine to Russia and the road just turned to trash. <laughs> like, it is just a dirty, bumpy road. Man, it, I don't know. It, it's looking like that road's going to get bumpy on the other side. Yeah, I, for real, right? Yeah, there's going to be big old craters in it. You know, man, it, and speaking of that, you know, I know you followed this situation closely and, and kind of how just the craziness of the times, man, COVID and how that's manifested, you know, all, all this stuff with with uh, President Brandon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you see? How do you see this stuff breaking down, I'd say, over the next six months leading into the midterm election? All right, so I definitely think that within six months you'll see Russia take over Ukraine, or it, it'll it'll they'll be on soil there in some way or another. Uh, I can definitely see that happening. As far as things stateside, I think you're going to see another lockdown over here in the near future. Uh, things in Washington State where they've uh, started talking about like forcibly detaining people, I think you're going to see those kinds of conversations continue to spread. Uh, you've seen similar types of conversations in New York. Uh, the cities matter. I don't think people understand that, it's particularly in rural areas where people say that, like, nah, you know what, like, that's a long ways away from here, and, and so on and so forth. But the cities that people put policies through end up trickling down into rural areas. And you're going to see more of those totalitarian tyranny-style decrees that are going to trickle down into small-town Americana. 
Uh, so I could see that as well. As far as other specifics, I think you're most certainly going to see more of a food shortage. And I think people are going to finally wake up to that. I think with inflation, uh, if you study inflation throughout history, how it leads to hyperinflation, once that psychological tipping point hits where people realize, hey, inflation's a thing, I, we could see some crazy stuff there. It's hard to put a timeline on that when that is, but most certainly your food is going to cost more six months from now than what it does today. And I mean, really everything is going to continue to increase in price. Yeah. And judging by, uh, Brandon's press conference, which was, I just caught a few minutes of it. I don't know if you saw, or I can't stomach it. Nah. Oh, it's bizarre, man. You should, you, you should, observe a few minutes of it. I, I think all the listeners should, they, they should go and observe a few minutes of this with the audio off because it doesn't matter what he has to say. Watch his behavior. It is the most fascinating thing to watch um, in, in, in the most bizarre kind of like morbidly bizarre way. This, this is a guy who's completely, like, mentally, he is completely detached from reality, man. He, he, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's even dementia. I mean, obviously it is, given his age. I, I mean, that would be our first guess. But, man, he is, there's just something, something is just not going on in there, man. Or it, 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 it's like he's not, I, I don't know if, if in, in the medical side of things you ever worked with any dementia patients, but it's, it's like he, he's not aware of, of reality anymore. And that's, I had caught some highlights of it this morning and it, like I didn't watch the full thing live yesterday or nothing like that, but was catching highlights of it this morning as I was working on stuff. And yeah, I, I, I don't understand it. I know the Babylon Bee has done some fantastic pieces. (laughs) 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 The irony of the day, man, when when comedy sites are doing more journalism than journalist sites. Uh, Those guys are hilarious, man. (laughs) No, it is. I mean, it and and it's uh, they're really kind of like the Onion, but they well they put they picked up where the Onion left off. The Onion started their their left wing slant on everything, and they kind of yeah. I are they even still around anymore? I don't. I have no idea. I, They're one of them things I've know. dropped off, and I never heard of it anymore. I don't know, man. But <laughs> you know as well as I do, they're going to have a heyday with yesterday. Oh yeah, yeah. It, well, it's already started, man. It, it's it, it's already started, but. You know, talking about Ukraine and and hyperinflation and everything. You know, when when we linked up at Prepper Camp, um, when I you know I first ran into you, and was like, "What's up, man?" Um, you know, one of the things that you said that I, I thought was awesome. You know, when we were just kind of chit chatting back and forth, was you know the NWO is not going to fight itself. And I mean, you know, you, you said it kind of as a joke, and I thought it was hilarious. But at the same time, like. You, you know, you're deadly serious. I'm deadly serious. Mm. How do you think that plays into what's going on with Ukraine? What's going on, like the larger picture? And what are you personally doing to, you know, you, you've got the micro farming going on, but like bigger picture for yourself. How is this all panning out? Man? 
Yeah, so as far as with Ukraine and Russia and whatnot, it makes no sense why all of the mainstream media and other talking heads are purposefully pushing for us to get involved with something over there. Like, none of that makes any sense. Uh, I do agree wholeheartedly with Tucker Carlson on that, that, well, yeah, I'd be upset too if if Mexico was Chinese-owned, right? Like, I, And all of a sudden, you've got Ukraine going to NATO, and Russia most certainly views NATO as an American extension at, well, because we, we foot the bill. <laughs> we yeah. pay for it. So it, it, it makes no sense why we are all of a sudden concerned about border security, unless there's some other deeper agenda there with that. I, I can't figure any other reason other than that uh, with everything with Ukraine. It's, uh, I don't know. There's other situations of it that I think is strange as well. Like I, I'm sure you saw uh, with Forward Observer, uh, which yeah. is an excellent site, by the way. If like oh, anyone yeah. that told me about them, and they're awesome. Yeah, yeah. But Mike uh, and the crew over there, man, they're they're definitely uh, he and I go way back, man. They do great work. So, and yeah, they were pointing yeah. out that the United Kingdom was flying C-17s to ship arms and stuff to Ukraine. And yep. the C-17s are flying around Germany. Like, they're not going through Germany. Which then raises the question to me, like, well, why don't Germany want, want that? <laughs> In my head, I'm like, well, Germany's thinking, like, we don't want to make them mad again. <laughs> well, dude, Nord Stream 2, if you look into Nord Stream 2, Nord Stream 2 is the natural gas pipeline that runs through the Baltic sea. Yeah. And if that gets shut off, like they, Germany doesn't want to tick off Russia because they know that that is the only supply line they have for natural gas. And Russia holds the the key to that. Don't they, don't they have the yep. valve right there? <laughs> yep. And, and if they know that, I mean, Germany is, is a NATO member, but they know that, they there's only so much they can do so they're kind of the the middle ground and then you got poland man so mm-hmm. poland poland is is convinced that russia is going to try and invade and and take them out and and i'm not saying there's not validity to that um they have they there's bad blood going way way back between uh the tartars which you know became russia and the Poles and, and the old Prussian order and everything that, you know, is makes up modern day East Germany and Poland and, and you know, that whole region. But, man, it, it, there, there really is no good outcome because I, I don't think because when you, you look at when you look at the level of corruption that's going on in Ukraine that we fomented. I mean, you brought up talk, Tucker Carlson. And, you know, Burisma, if you follow the money on Burisma and the number of elites from our government, and it's not a like it's it's not I don't think that it's a strictly Democrat thing because you got a guy like Coffer Black, who is, uh, you know, retired CIA clandestine services officer like he he was the the top guy at the National Counterterrorism Center for a long period of time. He was the the architect of the invasion of Afghanistan and and he's had his hands in a lot of stuff man and he's on the board of directors for Burisma you know yep there's a whole lot of things there that when you look at it at the overall picture you're like hey wait a minute 
well, wait a minute, yeah. guys. <laughs> this don't make no sense. It, it makes yeah, sense, it, but it, it the way they try to portray it and paint it, it doesn't make sense unless you're looking at the, the hidden agenda there with that crap. Right. Right. And so in recognizing all that, man, because, you know, we're just a, a couple of average Joes. Like we've got our platforms. We, you know, we, we write alternative media pieces and, and, you know, have our podcasts and everything. But how is, how is the recognition of all that? Like for you personally, and, and really, I guess what I'm getting at is how you're fighting that, what measures you're taking to do what you can here at home. Yeah, as far as personal preparedness, uh, I think that one of the things is getting people around you prepared as well. Uh, you had a piece that you had written years ago. It was called Arm Thy Neighbor, and it was looking at like, okay, like, have you gifted your friends? Like, you looked at chest rigs or magazines yeah. or, or whatever else, you know? Uh, so th that's been one kind of fun thing. Like, okay, for Christmas, let's give so-and-so – some magazines and let's give so-and-so some ammunition and let, it, just stuff like that. Just to make sure your family's squared away. Even if they live far away, uh, you still have some level of, of comfort knowing that on the tangible side of things, they have some of the tangibles that they need uh, because right. you took care of them in that. As far as food, uh, one particular food item, because as we mentioned, like inflation is continuing to rise and uh, you're seeing bare shelves. I was just at a Walmart the other day. And really, I try to avoid Walmart as much as I can. But it was like you were saying; it was barren. I was particularly I was looking at the uh, like the bottled water aisle, and I was looking down the yeah. chip aisle, and the chips were all gone. I was like, "Where are the Funyuns?" And all the water bottles were gone too. <laughs> but uh, I, I've been looking at flour in particular. I really like uh, Seven Pillars of Wisdom by Lawrence of Arabia, and oh, yeah. he Flat. talks about like. Initially, they carried rice and they liked rice. And then he realized, man, I could get a whole lot more calories for the exact same weight with flour. Uh, so that's something that I have interest in is, is that I think canned foods too, buy them while you can. I mean, no pun intended, super easy, super quick. You spend 80 cents, what you used to spend 70 or 80 cents. Now I'm seeing them for about a dollar, even for name, not even name brand, like generic stuff. Uh, but yeah. it's quick and easy. It, you don't have to worry about a five-gallon bucket or any type of uh, fancy mylar or anything like that. You just, yeah, here's my canned food. I mark it with a Sharpie. This is the day I bought it. Uh, I may even mark what's in it in case something happens to the label. I've heard of people putting varnish on them. I, I don't worry about varnish for rust or nothing like that. It's a, nah. I don't know. Don't want to do that. As long but, as you're keeping it out of humidity, you're good to go. You know. Yeah. But man, it, it's so critical to point out a truth that, that, you know, you're, you're obviously a student of history and a well-educated guy, just because you mentioned T E Lawrence and the seven pillars of wisdom. I mean, how many people are, are going to do that? You know, and I like and, history. Yeah. Oh yeah, brother. Yeah. But you know what, what you said right there with, with alluding to food, you know, that that's, that's the basics right there. You didn't talk about, you know, like, Oh yeah, I've got this rifle and I've got this, like, nah, how are you going to eat? Yep. How are you going to eat? That's first and foremost, you know, and hungry people are motivated people, you know, as, as anybody that you know gets a little hangry knows, uh, hungry people end up being motivated people. So I mean, you're, you know, you're already realizing that now something that 
I've read the seven, seven pillars of wisdom and I totally, I mean, I, you know, I took note of it when I read it, but I completely forgot about that, man. Yep. What a great lesson right there. They ended up making their own bread instead, which I also think yeah, would, yeah. as far as like the time and stuff, I, I haven't like compared as far as like, okay, the fuel cost of this and the fuel cost of that. But it does make sense to me that like, okay, this would probably be a quicker fix too, as far as baking bread, because otherwise you got to have the water for the rice sitting there all day long in your water bottle or whatever, however you're going to do it. I I don't know. I like, and personally I'm a fan of bread more than of rice. I like them both unless I'm doing keto. Keto. Uh, Yeah. I've been hearing you've been saying you've been doing that. I still love them. But keto is not a natural diet, though. You know, we can't. Yeah. You know, it, it's it. That's that. We're not really designed. The human physiology is not really designed to operate that way for long. For long. Keto. It makes me nervous. Keto does. You definitely damage the kidneys, man. That's you. You have to cycle it. You know. Yeah, the uh, I don't know. I guess the reason keto makes me nervous is because keto puts you in ketosis, right? Which is a step away from ketoacidosis. And maybe I'm mixing those two up, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It just makes me nervous with all that. Yeah, no, no, no. That that's a fact. I've definitely uh, when I was doing my homework on it, that was definitely one of the concerns. There's actually a lot of concerns with keto, and. Um, I had somebody that's that's big into only eating natural. Uh, she's she's kind of deep into rewilding, and um, you know if, if anybody knows anything about rewilding, it's kind of like the the Cody Lundeen survivalist kind of like let's walk around barefoot, like you know, kind of hippie ish stuff. Yeah. But, um, and she's like, uh, you know, keto's keto's good and everything, but you got to cycle it. You know, you definitely have to cycle it, and uh, you can end up damaging the kidneys, man. But getting back to carrying flour, though, you know, a lot of the stuff is really cheap too. Oh yeah. You know? Well, and I think that's one of the things that people have this misconception of, and it's because they're looking at the camping section at a uh, like a Bass Pro Shops or whatever, and they're seeing all the freeze dried food. But just from family members or friends that I've talked with about this kind of stuff, and they start like getting involved with it, like, man, this really isn't as expensive as I was thinking it was. I'm like, nah, man, like you can go and get 25 pound bag of rice at uh, any type of bulk food store for, uh, I think last I looked, it was like, I want to say 10 to $15, something like that. Like, yeah, that's not bad. And that's a lot of calories. You got each cup of rice is a serving and, with 25 pounds of rice, that's a lot of servings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, rice, rice is a big filler, you know, like you can, you, you can be surprised or you would be surprised how far, like that's the reason when, when you look at Central American countries and, you know, a lot of the, the societies that descended from the Spaniards, why they eat so much they, they rely on rice and beans for pretty much every meal because it's a complete protein. Like yep. you're, you're, you're actually with, with the two starches coming together, you're actually getting something that's very wholesome there. And, and you know, it's, it's like you said, man, it's really not that expensive. 
Oh, no, not at all. So I worked as a personal trainer for a little while. And that was one of the things that I always had to drill into people's heads because I would have someone coming in and they're like, nah, man, like it's too expensive for me to eat healthy. No, it ain't. It ain't at all. Like I, cl- I classify it two different ways. I say like, okay, these are healthy foods. And then you can be super healthy and do the organic thing. But if we're just looking at like, okay, I want to eat healthier foods, it's really not that expensive to focus on like beans and rice and flour and potatoes and things of that nature compared to Cheetos and Funyuns and uh, Hungry Man freezer meals, all that. Man, that that actually is a that's a huge deal because. Yep. While you were saying that, when when you say you know people reactively, because they, that's what it is, it's it's a reaction when they say you know oh I can't eat healthy, that's expensive. Nope. It's actually not, man. I I'm reminded uh, once upon a time when I was I was doing some some sociology work somewhere, and I always chuckle when I say that because like nobody when when people are taking classes and stuff with me. They never believe that that's my academic background is sociology. They're always like, I thought that was a bunch of commies, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, it kind of is, but you know, yeah, I think it, anyway, all the textbooks are for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I, I remember seeing a documentary and I think it was called, I think it was called bread. If, if I'm not mistaken, I think, but it was made by, um, it was a public television documentary that was made it was real short. It was only like 20 minutes long. And all it was, was these community outreach guys who were making loaves of bread at like a co-op or a whole foods or whatever it is. Right. And they were taking the bread to this, um, this old folks home where you had all these old mill workers that, that were there. Like they, they were living there, like their wives or whatever had died. And like they didn't want the bread because it didn't look like sandwich bread to them. Nice. And so they were just like, nah, this, what is this? We don't want this. And yep. it's, it's like you're getting whole grain healthy food here that's not bleached flour, you know, like mass produced stuff. And they were saying like, you, you know, we can't make sandwiches with this and whatever. And like, so the whole idea behind that documentary, the whole point was, was that people were reacting negatively. Like the, the people at this bread shop couldn't give the bread away, even though it was cheaper than what was looked at as the cheap option, like yep. eating, you know, like, like junk food. And so when we like, look at the, the broader society, man, that's a very interesting question in your estimation as, as a former personal trainer, a guy who knows a whole lot about being healthy. Do you think that it's like, it's conditioning for us to be eating unhealthy? Like they, they had an objective to this. I think you could definitely look at that because you've got like, let's say we're looking at potato chips or Doritos or something like that, where they have engineered what they've called the bliss point. And there literally are food engineers that figure out how to get you as addicted to a food as possible. So, yeah, I mean, most certainly you've got where people are actually being uh, engineered to eat a certain way or certain foods or whatever, and most certainly not healthy foods either. There's more more money to be made if you can sell somebody a $3 bag of Cheetos that cost you 20 cents to make than 
uh, I don't know, grapes or blueberries or whatever. Well, yeah, no doubt, man, because you got to pay somebody to pick it. You have to actually maintain the plant, which yep. is, you know, you then you got to pay for the insurance in case of crop failure or pests or, or whatever, man. If wow. anybody was interested in learning more about that, I think one of the best books on it is called Slim by Design, where the author looks at behavioral economics and looks at how people do what's convenient. And he looks at the, the food industry and looking at, okay, like this color will actually make you leave a restaurant sooner if this this is the color or this color will make you eat more so this color is not going to be found in a buffet <laughs> things like that you know so really? there's definitely some engineering there with that wow like for example man i i've never read this before um what colors just that, that that's very fascinating yeah so uh, the color blue i believe if i'm remembering correctly it's been years since i've referred to this book but the color blue makes you more hungry if i recall correctly uh, there are other things where uh, if you have chairs further away from the buffet line, people won't eat as much because people are inherently lazy. So if you want to make money, you want people to eat as less food as possible at a buffet line. So you put all the chairs way far away. And if you can, you also make it so that the person's back is facing the buffet line because out of sight, out of mind, if they're facing particularly out of window, they won't eat as much either. So there's all kinds of little tricks that no one would ever think about that's actually being used to mentally make them say, no, I don't need any more food. And as a result, Mr. Buffet Man makes more money off of you. Wow. Yep. Oh, man, I never even I never even thought about any of that. I mean, it's been God, I don't I couldn't even tell you the last time I've been to a buffet because uh, I think they're kind of gross, man. Well, they're, they're close too now, ain't they? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't, I don't really eat out much, so I don't, you know, I, I, I prefer to cook stuff at home. Um, but man, I never even thought about that. Oh yeah, it's a whole uh, thing. So what's interesting then is then how can you apply behavioral economics, let alone from the the food or the exercise world? How can you apply that to other things as well? How can you make it more convenient and easier for you? to reach whatever your stated goal is. So if you have the goal of, let's say I need to uh, get more in shape because I, I, I just, let's say you're saying like, this is an important aspect of prepping for me is staying in shape. How can you make it so that you're more likely to do that? Well, if you keep a gym bag actually in your car, you're more likely to go to the gym. So that could be an easy way to do that. Or let's say you were saying, hey, how can I make it more convenient for me to uh, store an extra thousand calories a month. What can I do to do that? And maybe that involves like, okay, well, all I've got to do is I've got to set out, I don't know, 10 more 110 Kona bear traps. Cause I know that like, this is the percentage of squirrels I get per trap. And maybe you do that and then you can the squirrel, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know. You can name all kinds of things with that. Like, okay, well, I'll drive this route back to home from work and that'll take me right by the grocery store. I can pop in real quick. I know where the closest thing is that I can get real quick and it's as close as possible to the self-checkout line. I can be out the door in all of 10 minutes and I won't be late for dinner. Wow. So Yeah, man, that, that's little behavioral hacks. That's pretty, that's, that's good stuff, dude. That it's interesting to, to think about and to look at that kind of stuff. 
Because yeah. there's all kinds of little things like that that actually impact things that we don't even realize necessarily. Like, and I guess off a, a tangent, but kind of not off of that, would be if you're looking at unrestricted warfare, do you remember when he talks about the golden ratio in there? Yeah. Yeah, and how like oh, the yeah. golden ratio somehow seems to magically make things better. <laughs> I just things like that. Uh, that's one of the pieces I've been working on of late is looking at, okay, like, are there other examples where we can see the golden ratio at work and it's, it's actually worked and it helped the people. And there's all kinds of examples outside of that manual as well. It's just, you had to hunt around for them a little bit, but I don't know. Is there, are there ways to apply the golden ratio to prepping even that would make things better? Yeah, I'm sure there are. As far as what those are, I haven't figured that, haven't discovered those yet. I'd have to figure out some tests and stuff to figure out how to test hypotheses and whatnot. But yeah, I definitely think right, that, right. that could help with that. Well, speaking of unrestricted warfare, just shifting gears a little bit. One of the things that, that we haven't really talked about because everybody's attention is, is kind of focused on Ukraine right now. What moves do you see China making? Because we've been talking about the supply chain breakdown and the shortage and, and, you know, all roads, I hate to say this, but it's true. All roads in this lead back to China and China has a pretty heavy hand in the shutdowns. You know, we, we would be idiots to, to say that China does not have at least a hand in crafting public policy here in the United States as well. So in, in your estimation, what is their gain in all of this? I think one of the first things you're going to see is you're going to see them take Taiwan and something will happen, whatever that'll be, who knows, that will give them the go ahead. It'll give them the fog where they can say, all right, we got it. Uh, you've mentioned in the past that the waterways aren't uh, accessible in winter months. It doesn't just doesn't work. Um, yeah. Didn't like didn't the Mongols try to invade Japan at one time, and that was the reason they lost their entire fleet was because the the water was just no yes, good. Yes. So yeah, they were uh, they they were not they were brilliant horsemen, but they didn't they they were not good sailors, and nope. they tried to invade at the wrong time of the year for for that climate, and it I mean it was a complete disaster. The Russians had a, a similar fate during the Russo-Japanese War. And that was what, uh, prior to the Russian Revolution, uh, Tsar Nicholas II, his entire, oh, just about entire fleet was decimated because the Imperial Japanese Navy knew just to sit back and, and let this disaster fall un, you know, unfold. And uh, the Chinese know this too. I mean, the, the Chinese were navigating that part of the world before Magellan, long before yep. Magellan. And, and so they, they know, you know, they, they understand all of that, at least in, in the regional picture. There's some people that are saying, you know, like, oh, they, you know, they, their naval power has never been tested and, and whatever. And that might be true. But, um, you know, I, I, as far as an amphibious landing goes for physical occupation, I'm not so sure now. They, obviously, it's, it's out of season for them to do that, but I'm not so sure now that they won't just pummel Taiwan into rubble. Yep. One way or another, I think it's it's just a matter of time till Taiwan is once again with a red flag over it. Uh, 
so that's yeah, the first the thing I think. Are not on their side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Taiwan's teeny, man. Like it's a teeny little speck in the in the ocean. Yeah, and, and I don't know. They, I don't hold out a whole lot of hope for them, and I don't see the U.S. doing anything to honor any type of treaty we've made with them. It would just be nope. Here you go, because like you said, China's got a lot of money and a lot of uh, power in American policy creation. And they spell all that out, how they're going to do that within that within unrestricted warfare. Uh, So it's uh, that's no surprise, I think, on all that. It's just a matter of time. Well, unrestricted warfare for anybody who hasn't read it, um, you can find it online. Probably you used to could anyway. Um, I have a, a PDF of it somewhere i think it's up on the brush feeder site but i might be mistaken i know that i've posted it somewhere in the past though but it was a or it is a uh plan of action and really a a uh a manifesto if you will of the chinese people's liberation army that was written by two colonels that were lecturers at their uh at, at the the chinese equivalent of west point and they, they essentially laid out a case for defeating the West. And, you know, when, when they say defeating the West, specifically they mean the United States. It was written in uh, 1997 was when it was originally published. Yeah. So if you go back and read that, that really, I mean, with a few minor variations as you're always going to have in, you know, over two decades since it was originally published – they've pretty much followed that plan. Well, I think especially what's interesting is the cultural warfare that they mention, And they talk yep. about like, hey, if we leave the borders open of a country and just flood it with immigrants that don't want to mesh with the culture whatsoever, uh, we can help destabilize it. And who knows what's next? <laughs> you know, like, and yet what do you see now? You've got just open border and people are just coming in all over the place and, I don't know. It's an interesting parallel, I think. Yeah, it absolutely is, man. You know, and, and if you look at the the open borders policies, you know, a lot of a lot of guys like you and I, and you know, we, I think that we're in the vast majority here in in the United States too. Um, we're just looking at this madness, like you know, it should be painfully obvious to anybody with a brain, and yet we have so many of our politicians that just turn a complete blind eye to it. It can't be by accident. Well, I think that that's one of the reasons, what was that country song that guy wrote about two, three months ago that he's talking about, he's looking at the TV and he, he starts cussing at it and whatnot going, what on world, what in the world is going on? You listen to country. I know you've, you've heard it as well. I can't remember the guy's name. It's got a bit of language in it within the song, but that's <laughs> the reason that the song did so well is because so many Americans are looking at this and going, what on earth? Like, what is this? Yeah. What is happening? Well, and there's, you know, where the, the people who are coming up through Mexico are not Mexicans. Okay. They're, they're not Mexicans. And, and, and a lot of these people are not even central Americans at this point. I mean, how did people from Haiti, get there how did romanians and hungarians and all these people from all other corners right central europe africa how did they get there like somebody brought them there 
And when you look at the money and influence, the, the trail of influence there, the Chinese have their fingerprints all over it. Yep. And you've, you've published a piece before over at American Partisan looking at one of their speeches that was given in 1997 by General Haltian. And he's yep. looking at and stating like, this is what we want. This is what we're going to do. And you look at the world now and you're like, oh, wow. Like <laughs> it's what, 20 years later. And there's a lot of things on this checklist that have, that have happened. Well, yeah, man. I mean, when you stick to a plan, which is exactly what they've done. You know, you, you stick to a coherent plan and, and that's their objective. Their objective is taking us down. That's why we got to fight for it, you know? And so from your perspective as, as a guy who is, you know, what I call a freedom fighter, you're, you're, you are one of the guys that, you know, I hope that there are, you know, thousands of you that come out of the woodwork you know, no military background, but a mountain of motivation. You've, you've literally dedicated your time. You know what you're talking about. You train hard, you know, and and you, you're you ready. Like, you're, you're taking the fight very, very seriously. What have you been doing on that front to, to get yourself prepared and get the people around you prepared? Yeah, um, so, like – one of the things is I've, I've been just hanging out, spending more time at the range, doing a bit more with that. I've been uh, looking at trying to figure out more primitive style recipes, like things I can make, uh, fun stuff like that, uh, which really I do enjoy it. It is, it is a lot of fun to me figuring out like, okay, how can I cook something with this campfire? Because that is a skill. That's most certainly a skill that oh, people yeah. had beforehand that we don't now like if you don't have an electric range or an electric stove, how many people really know how to cook without an electric range or an electric stove? The answer being not a lot. Uh, so to figure out how to cook something off of a campfire or a rocket stove or whatever, I, I do a lot of backpacking. And j even that's helped with things of that nature as far as figuring out like, okay, if there was a grid attack, because we've already found that the Chinese have the, an off switch and like a lot of the electrical equipment that we're getting over from over there. I don't know why we're buying it yep, from yep. them. Uh, if they just flick the switch and we ain't got no grid on uh, throughout the Rockies or wherever, what are you going to do? <laughs> how are you going to eat? You may have all this rice and all this other food stored, but how are you going to cook it? Uh, all that. So I think that's a big part of it too. The, uh, Nobody likes crunchy rice, man. No, man. Uh -uh. Your, teeth, your teeth do not like it. <laughs> The military thing, I tried – there was three separate occasions that I started saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and join and like started training, trying to get ready for boot camp as far as like ah, – I mean, idea. already being a personal trainer, but trying to just be better at the push-ups and the pull-ups. And each time that I tried, I ended up getting injured and like knocked out for like a year each time. And I just viewed it as, you know what, like God has shut the door on this and it ain't supposed to be. And now years down the road, I look at it and I say – shoot, like I'm glad it didn't work out because if I'm looking at these mandates that the military has got coming down or already has passed and I would have been screwed, you know? So I, yeah. I view that as God's provision there. And I think there will, I think anybody can look back in their life, uh, Christians can look back in their life and say, man, shoot, look at these, these times of provision where 
I, I thought this was going to be a bad thing, and it ended up being all right. Oh, amen, brother. A amen. And, you know, the reason that I, I asked that in, in the way that I did is there there's this dichotomy in the prepper movement. And, and I know yep. you've seen it because we kind of talked about it a little bit last time we were together, is that these there's a lot of people out there that have this this idea that, like, you know, you had to be a former so-and-so to know anything yep. or, like, be competent at being, you know, prepared or how to organize as a community or whatever. And, man, that's just not true. Like, it, it that's, like, you know, that, that's why I don't really harp on, like, military stuff very often because it, it unless it really is relevant to the conversation – like if, you know, we need to talk about how to run battle drills or something. All right. Well, that, that, that would be relevant, but for pretty much everything else, man, like there, there's a lot of really competent people out there that don't have a military background. You don't need that. It's not a requirement. And I think in a lot of cases, man, it's, it's better off for it because when you don't have that background, you, you don't have a paradigm of thought necessarily that you're coming from. You're a free thinker. It's a fresh approach to a situation. You're thinking outside of the box, you know, and, and, uh, to me, that's really, really important. One of the, the really cool things, you know, you wrote a piece uh, over on the organic prepper about, uh, Robin Sage, which is getting ready to go on right now. And I know that that made its rounds The you know, people were talking about it and out in conspiracy land, their temple hats, a little too tight, whatever. But that is quite literally the scenario that's going on. There is some, uh, you know, a small handful of dot mill guys, a, a special forces ODA team in training is training a large group of civilians for guerrilla warfare. You know, and and that's essentially like we we hope that we don't have to resort to that. But every day as things become more and more tyrannical, man, like you you said last time we were together, the NWO ain't gonna fight itself, brother. Well, I think uh, I definitely agree that like there's most certainly has been a vibe in the past that I think is kind of shifting away. Where like, oh, you weren't military. <laughs> What, what what could you possibly have to say about anything? You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You just, you don't have the credentials. But one of the things I guess I learned in college, not that I guess I learned, but after college was you get out of college and you've got this degree and you're like, shoot, man. Like, I feel like sometimes I could have learned this stuff just by reading books on my own and I wouldn't have had to worry about paying tuition all those years. And yes. it, it kind of causes you to realize, well, shoot, there's all kinds of things people can learn by reading by them of their own accord. Uh, so like after college, after doing like working with uh, personal training and stuff like that, I ended up going back and getting a trade. Cause I was like, you know what? Like college was cool. I learned a whole lot, but you can learn a heck of a lot from just reading stuff of your own accord. And I don't know. There's, you can learn a lot without having to go through and be Mr. Green Beret or Mr. And I'm not making fun of any Green Berets. I'm just saying there's, you can learn no, things no, without no. having to do yeah. all that. No, man. It, cause, cause you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of times, man, guys come out of that world 
I know, you know, you, you come out of that world of, of kicking in doors and doing all the things, right? And it's not nearly as much fun as what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, but you get busted up in that lifestyle, man. Like, it, well, it's, yeah, it's, and that not, means, it's not that, something I recommend anybody to do after the fact. Yeah, and that being said, I, I don't think there's also – I'm not trying to diminish any guy that's had – that's a veteran of his service or what he's learned, because I'm not going to tell some guy that just got back from Afghanistan. Well, guess what? I can learn like it's, it's just the same. <laughs> I'm not going to say right. that, that either, but I don't know. I, I think, yeah, whatever. Nah, I mean, it, it's, it's not a requirement for being competent. Yeah. yeah. A number of things, man. And I think there are, there's about to be, a whole lot of people out there that are going to need training quick, fast, and in a hurry. I just got a feeling. I mean, things are well, stuff on the global stage, stuff that we've talked about. You know, it, it's supply chain shortage, uh, you know, election fraud, and whatever you want to – I mean, I think personally, like, they're, they're gaslighting – and, and that's the other thing going back to talking about uh, Let's Go Brandon yesterday in his little press conference. The one piece of audio that I did catch that I think everybody should go back and listen to is he is gaslighting the election, this coming election, knowing that they're if if they let the ele- if let's say for sake of argument that they don't interfere in this election. And that everything goes, you know, legitimately, which I, I doubt it will. But let's just say for the sake of argument, it does. And the Republicans come in and, you know, they win a bunch of seats and whatever. And everybody thinks things are going to be good again. Right. Well, yesterday, Brandon was already out there saying, like, you know, they're going to make it difficult for minorities to vote and they're going to, you know, they're going to do this. And he never named who they were. But I mean, we all know that, that he's he's talking about conservative Americans, people who just want freedom, the same people who have a grievance, a political grievance and a very legitimate one. He's pointing the finger at us and they're gaslighting it so that once that happens, if, you know, if the election happens and all that stuff, let's say best case scenario, then they can blame their failures on folks like you and I. Have you read uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals? Oh, yes. Many, okay. many times. <laughs> many times. Many times. Yeah. So it's, I think that's one of the, uh, the playbooks for, for all of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. That's that's why they're they're trying to ram through that bill, man. The the uh, the, you know, and and they're even gaslighting with what they named it. The you know, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to make it so that if you oppose it, you're a racist. You're yeah, right. You're you're racist. You obviously don't don't uh, agree with civil rights, and you know, it's it's a voting rights act. When you read the bill and you see what's actually in it. It doesn't have anything to do with voting rights. It has to do with the federalization of elections so that there's no more local oversight. That's what they're actually doing. Well, that's one of the things with George Orwell with 1984, where you have the Ministry of Truth and the Ministry of Love and (laughs) all these ironically named things that are anything, but it's, it's that in name only. 
it's it's really amazing how uh, Orwell, who was a uh, not a conservative himself, at no, he was socialist. Yeah, yeah, Isn't that crazy. Uh, but it, it it is. It, it's really amazing how the guy literally predicted everything that has come to pass. Yep. It, what's let alone that, like most certainly, but how he couldn't make the mental connection to realize like, Hey, the policies that I'm endorsing lead to these things I'm warning people about. Yeah, man. Well, that was what led to him writing animal farm was he, he was disenfranchised with the Soviets because he was a fighter in the, the uh, Spanish civil war with the, the anarchist brigade and they got fed to the wolves by the communists who were uh, backed by Stalin. And, uh, you know, he, he, I think that and uh, their failures at, at Guernica, and he, he really began to see, you know, like, like what he was advocating was going nowhere in a hurry. And uh, I don't know, but it, 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 he was certainly unrepentant about being a socialist. Yep. Uh, he, even up until he died, but still the, the work is very, very important. Yep. Yeah. It's a, both of those are spot on because they tell it. I think there are traits of human behavior that he points out within those books, both of those animal farm in 1984 that are just trademarks of totalitarianism of tyranny that you see over and over and over and over and over again. It just, yeah, if you're going to have a tyrannical society, this is what it's going to look like hundred percent man and it's it's unfortunate but you know that that just seems to be where we are headed what it's looking like well brother coming up on the one hour mark man is there any other kick-ass interview is there any other things that you want to dive into real quick for the radio contra audience uh yeah i joe dolio's theory but the three-day theory where you've got three days until people run out of food, people run out of water, and things get oh, crazy. Yeah. Spot on. Uh, even the American Red Cross signs off on that, sh- saying that the average American has like three days worth of food in their house. So that's, uh, I mean, you can easily make deductions about that. So most certainly, I think, make sure you have more than three days of food and water in your house. <laughs> more than that even, I think. But I do think as well, consider... Uh, family members that are not on board with that kind of thing because they are still your family and they are still made in God's image and they are still people that you love and you are to protect your family and take care of them. So consider them as well. And even if they're not on board with everything, even if they think you're crazy and they just don't want to hear it, even whatever, still consider them with what you're doing. I don't think that means you've got to have this massive warehouse just stacked floor to ceiling with rice. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Right. But I don't think that's what that means. Uh, figure out what that means for you, for your situation to not only take care of yourself, but to be able to, Hey, crap hit the fan. Let's get everybody and we'll get out to the farm and make sure everybody's all right. Because if you are the patriarch of your family, you're the man of your family, you have responsibilities. Amen, brother. Amen. I think that was was incredibly wise words. Incredibly wise words. Well, man, brother, it was awesome to have you. A big honor to have you. I look forward to getting you on this podcast again in the very near future, man. 
Hey, thanks, man. Yeah, no problemo. It's been a lot of fun. I'm excited to be on. This is, uh, I, I love American Partisan. I love Radio Contra. So it's it's been a blast. Yeah, brother. Well, all right. I am NC Scout, and thanks for being with us yet again and making this podcast one of the top ones on the internet for myself and Aiden Tate. God bless all of you, and this is NC Scout out.